0: Show it because we thought, like Lulu said, something a little bit different to do in worship. Um, but also, I think it's a really great summary of this book that we're going to be looking at for the entire rest of the sum- semester. And it's a great summary, actually, of a talk that Kyle gave last week. I thought it was a really good talk, um, where he talks about what is wisdom and what Kyle said wisdom was is that it's the skill of godly living. It's the skill of godly living, I- I- and. It's it's the art of living well inside of God's reality, this world that He's that He's made, and so this week we're going to continue through our series uh, through Proverbs called the Art of Living Well. And to get us started off tonight, I want to ask you a question. It's to be a very very simple and easy to answer question. Okay, what do you want? That's my question. What do you want? And when I think about that question, it actually takes me back to my own college experience and a kind of funny story uh, of how my wife predicted that I was going to propose to her a solid two weeks before I did it, uh, without me saying you're doing anything, as far as I knew. Uh, so let's go back to my junior year of college. We've been dating for a year. I was pretty sure, yeah, I want to marry this girl. I only had one problem. Does anybody know what it is? Money. Everybody's got problems. Money was mine. I was a poor college student. And so I got a part-time job, I didn't have a lot of time, but I worked like five to ten hours a week, and I scraped away all that money, and I, and I was just, I was penny-pinching, I was living on the cheap, as cheap as I possibly could for a year and a half, so that I could save up enough money to buy my wife's wedding ring. And after a year and a half of living on the cheap, you know, doing my little part-time job, I finally saved up enough money, I bought the ring, and a month later, I was going to propose. And then this is where my wife tells me what happened. about two weeks, I think, after I bought this ring, she's on the phone with her sister. And she says her sister, Nina, she goes, Nina, Patrick is about to propose. I haven't told her anything. She's like, Patrick's about to propose. And Nina goes, well, how do you know that? She goes, he's buying so many Chipotle burritos. (laughs) Some of you are laughing because you get it. She was right. I was buying a lot of Chipotle burritos uh, because it turns out, you know, that that uh, she put together, I, I was penny-pinching, living on the cheap, but now I have all this money for burritos, so I must have saved up enough money to buy the ring, in which case the proposal is on the way. She's a smart woman. <laughs> it's dangerous. <laughs> this is real, real life. You know, but here's the deal. How, how we spend money, it's a pretty good sign of what we really want, right? And Emily was a pretty keen observer of my own wants. Obviously, my top want was getting married, right? And I'm a simple man, so my second level want is uh, steak burritos. Uh, Now you know who I am. So we all get it, though. Our wants, the things that we desire, they tend to drive how we live, how we speak, how we think, how we dress, how we act. You know, there's lots of little wants that drive us. Maybe you want to laugh, right? You want to get people to laugh. Maybe you wants to feel included maybe you want her to like me maybe you want a good grade maybe you want that leadership position or that uh internship over the summer maybe you want his approval but if you're anything like me and maybe you're not You don't spend, at least I don't spend, much time reflecting on what I want. That question, what do you want, I don't think about that very much, even though that's the thing that tends to drive a lot of the stuff that I'm doing. And as a result, I very, very rarely reflect on a far more important question, which isn't what do I want, it's what should, what should I want. Let me ask you this. What if there was one thing out there, one thing that if if we wanted that one thing, Then it would actually drive us to live and speak and dress and act in a healthy, courageous, just, good, loving, non-anxious way. Wouldn't you want that thing if you knew what it was? If it would drive you to live that way? I know I would. Proverbs 2 is written like a, a, a loving father's plea to his young son. And he's telling his son, I know what that one thing is, and I want you to want it. This is what he says in Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise up your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. So according to the Father, there is one thing that we should want, one thing that we should want that does lead to the good life, and it's this, the wisdom of the Lord. So let's go back to that question I asked when I said, hey, what do you want? Do you know what you want? How many of us thought, I want wisdom? Giving these talks, it's kind of funny, because sometimes you end up talking about something that you're not really good at yourself. And, And I can just tell you straight up, I'm not sure that I want wisdom would have been in my top five wants if someone just asked me on a random day. What about you? Do you want wisdom? Does wisdom even make it into your top five list of things that you want? Proverbs 2 is a father's plea. It's to his son. He's saying, son, want wisdom. And here's the great part. Like a really smart dad, he doesn't say, hey, son, you should want wisdom. And he goes, why? And he goes, well, because I'm your dad and I told you so. We've all heard that from our parents, but that's not what this dad does. He's a smart dad, right? He says, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why you should want wisdom. (laughs) And I love that because that's exactly what I need. I need someone to tell me why because sometimes I don't really want wisdom. I need someone to show me why I should want to be wise. So let's look at that right now. Before we do, let's just pray really quick. Heavenly Father, I will be the first person to confess that oftentimes my wants aren't things that I'm even thinking about, much less asking what should I want. And so tonight... I pray rather than being skeptical, you would open up our hearts to, to hear this Father's wisdom, to hear why we should want wisdom. let we pray. Amen. So, let's look at the first reason why uh, the Father gives his Son. The first reason why his Son should want wisdom. And it's this. He says that if you want wisdom, that will help you get closer to God. Thus, he says this. He says, if you seek wisdom, then... In verse 6, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So last week, Kyle did a great job of explaining what the fear of the Lord is. You should listen to that talk if you didn't get to hear it. But this week, I want to look at what's the knowledge of God. Because when he says the knowledge of God, he's, he's talking about a, a deep, relational, personal kind of knowing. He's not talking about knowing theological data. Uh, He's talking about knowing God like a person. He's talking about knowing God like a husband knows a wife, like a daughter knows her mother, like a friend knows a friend. That's the kind of knowing that he's talking about here. And the father is saying that if you want wisdom, son, then you'll grow personally and experientially close to God in that exact way. Let me illustrate it for you uh, uh, this way. I want you to imagine for a second. There's two college students, okay? And they're both cello players. And at their university, uh, the world-famous cello player, Yo-Yo Ma, maybe you've heard of him, he just happens to teach there. And so these two two college guys, they both desperately want to get close to Yo-Yo Ma. They want to get to know him. And so they both sign up for his office hours. Now, the first guy, he shows up, and he brings his cello with him, and he asks Yo-Yo Ma if he'll help him master this very, very difficult cello solo, and in between their meetings, the student, he practices hard, and when he comes back in, they keep working, and over the months, they they get there. He masters this difficult solo. Now, the second student, he shows up week to week as well, but he shows up with nothing. Yo-Yo Ma says, hey, couldn't you bring your cello? but he never brings the cello. He never practices. He just wants to be close to a famous person. Uh, Let me ask you this. Which of those two students do you think gets closer to the teacher? A different question. Which of the two students do you think ends up becoming most like Yo-Yo Ma? Wisdom is one of God's favorite instruments. And when we want it and practice it, that's when we begin to know and experience God on a deep experiential level. You know, doing college ministry for seven years now, I often, often, often get asked, you know, how do I get close to God? How can I grow my relationship with God? Want wisdom, the Father would say. Practice wisdom, the Father would say. After this, the Father, he gives a second reason why we should want wisdom. He says this, the Lord is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and watching over his faithful ones. So what he's saying here is when we want wisdom, then God becomes our shield. It's a pretty obvious metaphor, right? And he says that God's going to be our shield. He's going to protect us on our path, on our walk, on our way. But I want us to get something here, because the Father is actually really, really clear. He he, he says, look, it's not that God is just going to protect you wherever you go, no matter what you do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying God will protect you when you are on the paths of integrity and justice. Those are the places where God's going to protect you. Now, you know, we all think we're pretty good people. That's just kind of a given fact. Most of us think we do a pretty good job. So you might be thinking, you know what? That's me. I'm the guy who's on the path of integrity. I'm the girl who's on the path of justice. That pretty much sums me up. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. So God protects me, right? Uh, There was a Gallup poll taken of of people in in kind of the college age grouping, but I think it's true of a lot more than that. And it showed this, that in this interview, they found out that 41% of college students agreed That it's okay to break a moral rule if it works to your advantage and you won't get caught. Now, yet again, you might be saying, well, that's only 41%. I'm in the 60%. I'm a good person. Now, before you do that, Kyle, can you hit the lights? I just want you to take a look at this poster that I took a picture of at Shakespeare's last night. There we go. All right. Let's just, you can read it to yourself. This is soda. This is water. This is stealing. All right, we can hit the lights again. Now, you might be thinking, okay, that's stupid, but how many of us have stolen soda? Okay, me, I have. A lot of us have, right? And I know that this is dumb, but this is pretty simple, like basic, down-the-pipe moral logic. It's not hard to follow. But here's what my point is. We live in a world where even the simplest good is really tough to do. So how much harder are the big things? Here's what I think the, the father is, is trying to address in Proverbs 2. He's, saying, he's, saying, he's addressing this reality that we, all of us, we live in a messed up world where a lot of times it's easier and less risky to do the wrong thing than the right thing. Uh, a, a guy, he's actually a part of Veritas, he's here tonight, he, but he told me a story, he was hanging out with, with a friend of his, and um, she was saying to him how she doesn't ever really feel the need to speak out against anything, and certainly would never tell anyone else that they were wrong, that they'd ever done anything wrong, and so my friend, he's, he's kind of a you know, debater guy, and, and he's like, well, okay, he kind of gets extreme, he's like, well, what if, what if you lived in Nazi Germany? You know, don't you think you'd have to speak out, you know, for the Jews? And I think in a pretty profound moment of honesty, she looked at him and she said, I I don't know. I mean, maybe I would if if they were Asian because I'm half Asian, but I'm not Jewish, so I I really don't know. I mean, if I did speak out, the Nazis, they would probably kill me. It'd be too risky. Now, that is pretty honest You see, history shows us that whatever lies we tell to ourselves, oh, I wouldn't be one of those people, the vast majority of people, at least in Germany, they didn't do anything because doing the right thing is risky in this world. So am I the person who's on the path of justice and integrity? Can I just be honest? I don't know. I don't know and I won't know until I'm in the furnace, until I'm in that moment where you actually see, what do I do? Do I do the right thing or do I do the wrong thing? Because it is risky to do the right thing. And here's the deal. If we're willing to do what's wrong just for our own advantage and we won't get caught, then how many of us are gonna do the right thing when it actually costs us, when we're actually in that furnace? When doing the right thing, might cost you your social standing with your group of friends. When being honest might mean losing a leadership position that you really want. When keeping sexually pure might mean losing a significant other who you would really like to keep around. When choosing to prioritize your faith means uh, you're, you're going to mess up your schedule and maybe lose a job. When speaking out against injustice might mean losing friends, losing your reputation. See, the father in Proverbs 2, he's a realist. He's saying, you live in a world where it's hard, it's risky to do the right thing. And yet I want you to get this. The father, he shows us that those who want wisdom, people who want wisdom, they can gain the courage to do the right thing precisely because they know that God protects them. How does God protect them? I think the first way God protects us is by making justice, integrity, honesty, goodness. He makes those things appetizing, desirous to our hearts. I mean, just remember this. If you want wisdom, what's the first thing that happens? You start to grow close to God and you can't get close to the God of justice and integrity and honesty and goodness without those things becoming appetizing to you, beautiful to you, desirable to you. That's the first way he protects you. He changes you from the inside out. The second way God protects us is that he assures us. He says, I know, I know that it's risky to do what's right. Remember, we're talking to Jesus. I think he knows that it's risky to do what's right. He says, but know this. When you risk yourself to walk on the path of justice, on the way of integrity, you might suffer. In fact, you probably will suffer. You might get hurt. In fact, you probably will get hurt. But I promise you this, I assure you of this, I will be with you to the end. Your ultimate destiny is absolutely 100% secure. And even in the now, I think that the Proverbs is telling us, God at times will even intervene when we risk the right to protect us. Do you want the courage, the fiber, the brass, the grit to risk doing what's right then want wisdom. The third reason we should want wisdom is that it helps you grow a godly intuition. So if you want wisdom, then, verse 9, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant, appetizing to your soul. So the last word of verse 9 is path, okay? And in Hebrew, th- that word path, it's actually the word for a cart rut, okay? So uh, I think we have a picture that we can throw up there. Uh, can you guys see that okay? So that, that, that's an actual cart rut. So here's what happens. Cart drivers, uh, whenever they, they, they drive their cart through kind of wet ground, it, it cuts a rut into the ground, and then the ground dries up. And when the ground dries up, the rut dries up too, and everybody who comes after them, they have to drive through those ruts. So if you're a cart driver, Through practice, through experience, you have to develop a really good intuition. You have to get an intuition for which is a good rut. Is this rut going to break my wheel? You got to get an intuition for is this rut going in the right direction? Is it going to take me to the place that I want to go because it's hard to get out of a rut? That's where that phrase comes from. So the father, he's using this. He's using it as a metaphor. He's saying those who want wisdom are able to develop a honed ethical and moral intuition. The ability at a kind of gut level to choose and know which path is the right path, which path isn't going to break the wheel, to see the good rut, to see the wrong rut, and act accordingly. Now, I think this is actually a really incredibly important skill. I don't know if you knew this. Modern brain science has shown that our senses, we bring in about 11 million bits of data per second. That's how much is coming at us. And by the way, your brain can only process about 16 at a time. So that's tough. (sighs) If we had to think about all 11 million things coming at us every single second, we would get nothing accomplished, right? We would just be sitting there like overwhelmed by it. And so it's no surprise that brain scientists, they've shown that most of our decisions They're made at a gut-level intuition. Our brain kind of is functioning in this crazy world, and it's making these gut-level decisions. And the interesting thing is that even when you're using your analytical brain, you know, the part where you're, like, thinking through the decision, oftentimes brain science has shown we're just justifying the intuition that we've already decided. That's what we're doing in the analytical brain. So using this information, a Harvard business professor, his name's Eugene Soltz, he started studying white-collar criminals, And this is what he found out. I think this is fascinating. He found out that most of these guys who were, you know, put in jail for insider trading, that kind of thing, they weren't intentionally out there plotting to do wrong. They aren't like these bad guys in a back room coming up with their evil plots to destroy the world. They just followed their intuition. Uh, I read the story of one KPMG executive who was jailed for insider trading, and he talked about how he just kind of did it. He never really thought about it. He never really uh, talked about it. And I think that, that this story, it hits on our problem. You see, in this messed up world, do you get what the problem is? Our moral intuitions, they're malformed. They mislead us. They're not very helpful. They say, oh, that's the good rut. But in reality, that's the bad rut. The father is asking his son an implicit question here. He's saying, do you want your intuition to be calibrated to this messed up world, to your selfish desires, to the preferences of a society that struggles to risk the right thing? Or do you want your intuition calibrated to the creator of reality? What do you want? I, I hope you're getting why this matters. I'll put it one other way. When people think of who I am, they don't think about the big, the big decisions I've made in my life. They think about my character. They think about the very things that my moral intuition either guides or obstructs. So when people think about who I am, they think more about whether I love and respect and show kindness to others than the fact that I happen to live in Columbia, Missouri. That's what they think about. They think more about how I speak to others, my words, my tone. Do I infirm or do I encourage? Am I cynical? Am I terse? Than the major that I picked in college. That's what they think about. They think more about my disposition. Do I prioritize the right things? Am I loyal or disloyal? Am I humble or am I proud? Than what summer internship I got after my junior year. See, here's the thing. I spent so much time in college worrying about the big decisions, and yet I never stopped to seriously consider what was shaping my moral intuitions, what was shaping those tiny little everyday decisions that actually make me who I am never worried about those worried about the big things are you taking the time to reflect to do things that reform your malformed intuition you see those who want wisdom the father saying they grow close to god and then they begin to reflect his character by risking what's right doing what's just doing what's integrity right and through that practice, over time, their intuition becomes more and more aligned with God's intuition. The Father's fourth reason for why the son should want wisdom is that this is the only way. Wanting wisdom is the only way to set yourself on a trajectory towards real, full, and everlasting life. So we're going to read a long section of text here, but I think it pretty much teaches itself. He says, so if you want wisdom, then, verse 11, discretion will watch over you. It's going to take care of you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil. You're not going to end up on the bad rut. From men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back. They do not regain the paths of life. If you want wisdom, then you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The Father's message is simple. Those who want wisdom, they get themselves set on a trajectory towards life. Those who don't, he says, they go down to death. It's a pretty black and white statement, and it's terribly sobering. But I'll tell you this, I've seen it play out, not just... In the long-term sense, but in the here and now, you know I, I knew a Veritas student, a good guy, a Christian guy genuinely. He's still a good friend. you know, but he didn't do a good job of wanting wisdom, allowing God to shape his moral intuition. And after he graduated, he actually did really well. He, he got a spectacularly high-paying job doing sales with a major U.S corporation. And so he's doing his training for this job, and during the training, he gets paired up with a mentor, and this mentor's kind of supposed to show him the ropes. But my friend's mentor, he wasn't a great guy, um, and he was breaking some rules to make a little bit extra money on the side. And here's the deal, what he was doing, it wasn't just like glaringly wrong, but I can tell you this much, it definitely wasn't right. And so he invites my friend into it to make a few quick thousand dollars, and without much thought, that gut intuition, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Two weeks later, his mentor, who had been doing this for years, got found out. He lost his job. A week after that, he got found out. He lost his job. And every time a new employer that he was trying to get to hire him would ask, Well, what did you do for the last few months? they had to call that company and hear about what he did. This was a disaster. It was a disaster. It was also an incredible grace. Here's the deal, I can't sit up here and give a great talk that's gonna force you to care about wisdom, but I can promise you this, you live in God's reality, and when you break it, it will break you. This is why the Father so lovingly and so, so much concern. he says that those who don't seek wisdom, they are ultimately cut off from the land, and he's not talking about like the place where you live. The land here is pointing to the eternal land the new heaven the new earth and he's saying that if we refuse to seek wisdom we risk it all in the eternal sense so again the question that i have to ask myself is i'm not great at this is what do i want what do you want don't you want wisdom Don't you want to grow close to God? Don't you want the courage and the grit to risk what's right? Don't you want to have that gut-level intuitions that you know the right way to go with God? Don't you want that destiny, that eternal destiny, secured? Here's the good news. It's yours for the taking. This wisdom, it's a gift It's a gift that's waiting to be opened. Verse six, for the Lord gives wisdom. I want you to hear this. It's a gift, and that means you cannot earn it. You don't have to be wise to get this gift. In fact, it's for people who know that they're simple, who know that they're foolish, who know that they're sinful, who know that they actually need help, and as a result, they turn to God and say, give me wisdom, and that is the first act of wisdom right there. They turn because they know, we know that he wants to give it. And he's the only one who can. And he gives it freely. I want to end by just asking a quick question. How do we open this gift? What do we do? And that's in verses 1 to 5. I'm just going to read through this and and give a few thoughts. But if you are saying, yes, I would love to have wisdom. And it's a gift from God. So how do I open that gift? What do I do to start participating with him? Just reread verses 1 to 5 every morning this week. And it will do something to you. My son. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Do you treasure up the right words in your heart? Do you meditate on God's word? Do you actually contemplate it? Have you ever memorized it? Do this, the Father says, and get wisdom. He continues, making your ear attentive to wisdom. Just yet again, ask yourself who do you listen to? Do you hear God's Spirit speaking into your conscience? Do you listen to the wise mentors that he's given to you, to the right people? Continues, and inclining your heart to understanding. What do you move your heart to be excited about and to want, right? Like, we know how to get ourselves pumped up to to go play intramural sports or for an exercise or to go on a date. But how much more should we stir ourselves up to read good books that are going to help us to understand God, to do things that are going to help us grow closer to him, Yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, I mean, what do we raise our voices for? I mean, we shout at football games, right? And what do we see? I mean, we, we will seek after an internship. We'll seek after that leadership position like it's gold. But what if we took that passion? I'm not saying don't be passionate about things, but what if we took that kind of passion, commitment, and energy, and we directed it towards our morning prayers, towards the places God has called us to serve, towards building and growing in Christian community, towards drawing near, reading his word, and growing closer to God? The Father's saying if we want these things, if we want wisdom, We'll grow closer to God. We'll risk doing the right things. We'll hone a godly intuition. We'll find that our destiny is secure. If we want these things, then the Father says, You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, uh, we me, I, it is so easy to not pay attention to what we want, and it's so easy to want things that really aren't worth wanting. And so tonight, I pray that you would stir up our hearts with all of these whys that the Father has. All the reasons why we should want was to make us want it, stir us up, and then give us the passion to open up this free gift, because we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but through your Son, we have access to it, and that's our greatest assurance. So we pray all this in His name.